0: Great for us to kind of lean into Advent in, in a little bit different way. We've got culture of Handel's Messiah, we've got reflections of what does it mean uh, that Jesus would be called mighty God. And we're pulling all this from Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Isaiah chapter 9, or you can go to the app and slip down to sermon notes. You can follow along and everything we're looking at tonight. But in this context, we we see the nation of Israel. And they have this incredible crisis that's happening. In fact, this dark shadow that's kind of going over the land because Assyria is coming. And they're going to they're um, kind of terrorize and take over the whole nation. They're going to be hauled off into captivity. It's a dark, dark day in Isaiah's time. And yet it's into that moment that, uh, that God says to Isaiah, I want you to prophesy this. That I want you to prophesy that there is a hope that will be on the horizon." In fact, you can go through and you can look at all these different texts and we look at verse uh, 2, the people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This idea that something will happen. In fact, it's written in past tense before it's even happened, meaning you could take God's promises to the bank. They will be accomplished, he says. He goes on, verse 6. For, us, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his greatness, his government, his reign, his peace, there will be no end. And at Christmas, it's easy in the hustle and bustle of everything that's going on, everything that will transpire the next two and a half weeks for you and for me to get caught up in, in all the things that we're going to give. And listen, that's, that's fun. Enjoy that part of the season. But the reality is for us to, to grapple with and, and to be kind of caught up in wonder again, we have to kind of focus in on what we've already been given. And that's what the prophet Isaiah is saying 600 and some years before it came to pass. It's pretty phenomenal when you begin to think about it. And so this week, we're we're kind of given four descriptors. Carol read through some of those, and it kind of helped us get our mind around that. The second one, this mighty God. We think, I don't know if it's me, Jesus comes as what? A full-grown man? No, he arrives on the scene as what? This is not a trick question. (laughs) Okay, a baby. Okay, he comes as a baby, all right? And I don't know if you've, uh, anyone ever held a baby? They're not very powerful. I don't know if you I mean they've got powerful gas maybe but I mean it just they are not powerful when you think of it. In fact, you, you think of this idea of mighty God. How many of you have received baby announcements from friends before, right? They send out the baby announcements, got the picture of them, and it's kind of this idea, okay, uh, here's the, the details, born December 6, eight pounds, three ounces, 23 inches, and then you see a name, right? You see the name, like, here he is, he's Jeff, or he's Daniel, he's Kevin. If they ever wrote mighty God, wouldn't you be like, whoa, That's odd, right? A, because it's a baby, and B, I think that name's taken. Uh, Just like, it's just a baby. And they're not very powerful or mighty. In fact, when we think of the word mighty, we think of people who are bigger, stronger, more powerful. We associate it with someone who appears. Mighty, who appears strong. So, this week uh, we took a few folks down and we did this pancake breakfast for a bunch of UVA athletes. Uh, our partnership with Fellowship Christian Athletes. We seem to do this kind of every semester that right before finals start. And so we're down there in McHale And, and I don't know if um, if you've seen athletes up close. Um, they're in shape. I don't. I don't. I was like, I have a shape, it's a pair. but I'm um, just, you know, just, um, they've got a different shape, and, and this guy, Jordan Geist, I don't know if you've seen Jordan, if you've been around campus or not, I, here's what I want you to picture, he's got red hair, kind of reddish hair, uh, just, um, how do you describe him? Okay, picture a mountain, and then add legs, okay, that's Jordan, um, and he's the shot put thrower and discus thrower at U of A, he's, gonna, he's a sophomore, he's 19, And I looked at him and it took me like five minutes to walk around him, um, because I'm 5'6", and I think he was that wide. And just like, he's just huge. And he had an incredible freshman year, like won national awards and all that kind of stuff. And like, when I think of mighty, I think of Jordan. I think of like a Viking, okay? That's mighty. Baby, eh, not so much, right? I've been around a lot of babies. I love babies. Mighty is not the word I would put and describe what a baby is, and yet it's this description that the prophet Isaiah is saying, this is who Jesus really is. And the descriptor may not seem to match up, but it will, and it always will, and it did even on day one. Because the reality of this baby is something so much more profound. Isaiah is saying this child will reveal the mighty God to Israel in a unique way. As Christians, we recognize and kind of can see through uh, progressive revelation of Scripture, we understand that Jesus reveals to the world a mighty God of the Bible in a unique way. Do you remember what Jesus said uh, to Philip? Hey, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. John 14, Jesus reveals the Father in a unique way because the Father is at work through Jesus' life, and actually not just through his life, because we see Jesus is God, come in the flesh. That's the beautiful part of the incarnation. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, that may blow some circuits in your brain. It does, it should, because God is so much bigger than we give him credit for, and he's so much beyond you and beyond me. He's the creator. We're the created. And he's big. We're little. This incarnation, this idea that God came in the flesh in Jesus. And so as we lean into Advent this year, we celebrate the light and hope that this world needs. came. And he continues to come onto the scene and to be active in everyday life. We've lit, and, uh, lit a couple candles here. Last week, this wonderful counselor That a counselor is someone you listen to, someone that gives you guidance, someone that you turn your ear and attention to. And we said this kind of this big truth that whoever you listen to the most is your greatest counselor. So the question to wrestle with is who are you listening to the most? That in our day and age, filled with voices, which voice captures your attention the most. See, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Not only helps us in our day-to-day life, but he is also the master strategist, a counselor with someone who helped win wars in ancient times. And he won a battle that we could never win against the grip of sin and evil in our day. And he secured a victory for us, not just wisdom for the day-to-day, but winning advocates, that secures our life for this day and every day on into eternity. We have a wonderful counselor, not just way back then, but right now. And the second candle we're looking at, this idea of Jesus revealing mighty God. The might of God, the power of God, the activity of God for people to see. The power and heroic nature of God on display in a unique and personal way, from his birth through his resurrection and on into today. We see Jesus' birth, right, and the arrival of Jesus that that night that we'll celebrate here on Christmas Eve, and if you think about it, he shows up on the scene, right, and there's not a lot of fanfare. There's not a lot of pizzazz to it. How many of you've ever watched, um, like, award shows before, right? There's a lot of pizzazz in our culture, right, a lot of fanfare that goes into things, and that's great in a lot of ways, but don't you find it interesting that the creator of the heavens and the earth didn't show up that way? In fact, he shows up as a baby, and not just a baby born in a hospital. No, no, no. This is out back in the shed behind the hospital, and it didn't have, like, the noble gather round, and people weren't tweeting about it, about his arrival. In fact, not many people noticed, so angels had to show up, and shepherds had to give a special invite just so that he'd have some visitors that night. And so you begin to see the arrival of Jesus, and what it looks like at first is actually, if you're honest, just kind of a weak entrance into the world. It's not pizzazz. It's not fanfare. It seems kind of little to do about it. Isn't it interesting that it's in that moment, in the presence of that reality, that God chooses to put his greatest power on display in weakness. Well, where else do we see that throughout the scripture? It's in the appearance and the presence of weakness where God's strength truly shines. This is why the apostle Paul writes, hey, I have this thorn in my side. I have this idea that something that's plaguing me, and I've begged God to take it away from me, and I don't want it anymore. And he pleads out, and God says this to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong, Paul says. Because it's Christ in me. God's strength and might are activated and on display in the greatest of ways in the midst of human weakness. That's why Paul writes 1 Corinthians one twenty four. Christ is the power of God, the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than man's strength. The appearance of weakness... But God's might can shine through it. So Jesus shows up in an appearance of weakness as a baby. One of the the weakest forms of humanity in that season that we can have on display. And yet Jesus shows up then to say God's power is perfected in this moment. His arrival is marked with awesome power through the virgin birth, through the announcements from angels, confirmation that he's arrived, prophecies fulfilled throughout history. Here we are in Isaiah, right? 680 years before this happens. And it's in the prophet Isaiah says, hey, this Messiah's coming with a virgin birth. What? How does that work? Ask your parents. It doesn't work. But it worked. It's the only time it's ever happened. The only time it ever will happen. This idea that God created and brought himself into the picture in a way that is so improbable that no one could even think it up. That that mere arrival promises that the Savior is revealing something specific, saying the accuracy of that one claim alone is miraculous. Yet you begin to see the prophecies throughout Scripture. Do you realize there's over 100 plus prophecies in the Bible about Jesus' birth and his life that he fulfilled? I put in your sermon notes just one article about 55 from the Old Testament, 55 of them. Now think about this. In 1958, renowned mathematician and astronomy professor Peter Stoner studied and calculated the chances of fulfillment of messianic prophecies. He concluded that the probability of even just eight prophecies, that they would actually come to pass the way they were recorded, would be one in this many zeros. Uh, I went to Miranda. I. I don't even count that high. Uh, just, I've heard of a million, a hundred million, a billion. Like that's, this is one in one hundred Okay, quadrillion. Eight prophecies. I gave you an article about 55. There's a hundred plus. Okay? So just think about the probability of that actually happening. And yet Jesus fulfilled every single one. What does this make? Christmas. Christmas marks the greatest moment in history. A miraculous moment that brought our Savior into this world, to your world, my world. So that we would know that God wants to be known. And that God's coming to rescue. It's the most significant and mighty miracle in all of history until the resurrection because it's something that's powerful. It should elicit a response of worship within us and wonder and gratitude and awe. God, you've made all of that happen so that I wouldn't miss you and I couldn't miss you. Not only did Jesus show up and show God's mighty strength and power and might at his birth, but all throughout his life. But it seems a little odd when you think about Jesus' life, the reality, in the context of the first century world, if you were a part of a family of nobility, well, then you had power. But Jesus is not born into a family of nobility, and not born into a family of of, of wealth and known, and being known and connected. He's born into a carpenter's family. That just doesn't equate, we have a hard time getting our mind around that because in our culture, we've had people kind of rise up through the ranks. But the reality is, if you were in a rank in the first century, you were stuck. You were there. Like, that's what you knew. And yet, something about Jesus in his life and in his wisdom and his knowledge and his miraculous power, everybody became attracted to him. Everybody knew about him. And yet, it didn't seem like he should have been Known the way he was known. Uh, Prophet Isaiah, just coming from the same book, there's a lot from Isaiah that we see lived out. Isaiah 53 is all about the suffering servant, all about Jesus on the cross and about his life. And at the very beginning, he has this couple key words, phrases in here. I just want you to catch about the. Jesus is extraordinary, but I want you to see his ordinariness in a way. Here in context, here's what he says. The servant, speaking of Jesus, grew up like a tender young plant, grew like a root coming up out of the dry ground. He did not have any beauty or majesty that made us notice him. There wasn't anything special about the way he looked that drew us to him. Yet he suffered the things that we should have suffered. He took on himself the pain that we should have, and that should have been ours. The servant was pierced because of our sin. He was crushed because of what we have done. He was punished to make us whole again. His wounds healed us. All of us are like sheep who have wandered away from God. All of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has placed on his servant the sins of us all. Throughout the whole of Jesus' life, the power of God has marked him and flowed through him. In fact, the whole start of his ministry, Luke records that the power of the Spirit was upon him. In Luke 4, he goes in to preach his very first sermon in the synagogue and he reaches for the prophet Isaiah's passage again. Here's what he reads. You can read about it in Luke 4. He pulls and he says, look, this is what's written in Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to announce good news to the poor, sent me to announce freedom to the prisoners, sent me to help the blind see again, and wants me to set free those who've been treated badly. And he sent me to announce the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And every eye in the whole synagogue was on him. And then he says this, Today, this passage of scripture is coming true as you listen. Why? Because he's a mighty God. He's showing up in the scene. And everywhere he went, God's might and power was seen. His life in ministry was unlike anything anyone had ever seen before. It's what caused people to say, who is this man? And to be awed by him, over 30 plus miracles recorded in the gospel accounts from people being raised back to life, to the blind seen, to the lame walking, and everywhere he went. God's power was on display. Working in and through him. Friends, as followers of Jesus, we are to engage in life as Jesus did. Because God's power and might have not stopped working. It's got a different vehicle now. It was the vehicle of Jesus in that moment, in that season. And it's the vehicle of the church. Now, Jesus' body sent out to a watching world, the role of the church is to continue to make known the grace of Jesus available to any and all and to be the vehicle where God's might and power are still moving in this world to push back darkness. We are to push back the darkness in our time, in our cities, in our communities, with our sphere of influence. His might has more to do in our here and now. Listen, if we lay down if we stay still, if we remain as a holy huddle in hibernation, then we are not following in Jesus' footsteps. The role of the church is to move his movement forward, to put his power in display, on display. Uh, Beth Moore said this this week, she tweeted this out. We've lost our theological minds to think that enough people, uh, to think it's enough for people of light to sit in the light, carry the light, show the light, preach the light, podcast the light, but not fight the darkness. It's like showing up ring in the ring decked out, belted and gloved, and never throwing a punch. We are Jesus followers, meaning we follow Jesus and do the works he did with the heart for people that he had. You are the church. I don't know if you know that. This is a building. You are the church. And the vehicle of God, where he wants to use to put his power and might on display in our day and age, is through you. His power is still at work because we're getting there to show you, to make all this connection. God is still with us. We serve a mighty God who empowers us that we might partner with him to change things for God and for his good in this world. That same power is still at work through his church, through you. And we want to do everything we can to partner in that ongoing work. Why? Because Jesus had power and might going out all throughout his life. It was at his birth, it was all throughout his life, and listen, it was probably most dramatically on display in the moment when the world thought he lost. You think back to the cross and the resurrection. It's in that moment where the world would look at that scene and say it's over. At the cross, Jesus appears to fail and is executed, but he actually is just beginning to accomplish his plan for all of humanity. What appeared to be a period at the end of a sentence of his defeat was actually just a comma in the still amazing victory that was unleashed that day and a victory that is still expanding and gathering and gaining steam today. The cross wasn't the end. It was a little resting point. For three days later, the resurrection comes. And now the greatest miracle That marked history. See, what accomplished at the cross is the forgiveness of our sins. It's what Paul writes in Colossians. You were dead because of your sins. You weren't just, like, bruised up a little bit. You were dead. And Jesus made you alive because he took the power of that sin and he nailed it to the cross, making a public, public spectacle of it, claiming victory over it. Only God himself could take on and atone for the infinite weight of the sin of the world. But more than that, he disarmed all the spiritual forces that are arrayed against God and against us so that while they may still aim and fire, they fire blanks because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 1, the message of the cross seems foolish to those who are lost and dying, but it is God's power for us who are being saved. It's God's power on display the resurrection happens, there's never been a greater demonstration of God's power than when God raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus is seated now above all authority and above everything that's ever claimed to have power. He's above it. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 1, I want you to know God better. I'm praying for that for you. I pray that you understand more clearly, that you know the hope of God that he's chosen for you to receive, that you know this great power, and it cannot be compared to anything else. His power works for us who believe this same strength that God showed when he raised Jesus from the dead, that Christ sits far above all rule and authority. He sits far above all powers and kings, above every name that has been, ever been appealed to in this world and every world to come. He is above it. And that power is at work within you. Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do far more than you could ever ask for or imagine. He does everything by his power that's at work within us. As a believer, here's what you've got to remember. You've seen this. Remember when your battery power is running low and it says, oh, just drink this it'll get you back to full power, right? And you'll be able to tackle the afternoon, survive, and there's no drag, there's no caffeine kick from it. This is something small to try to re-energize you. As a believer in Jesus, you don't need this. Why? Now, you could drink this, I don't care. Think with the analogy. You don't need a little bit of power. Why? Because you already have immense power. The power of the resurrected Christ lives in you, works through you, wants to work in you and through you to impact the world around you. You have an endless supply of God's grace to empower you to live life. That's why you can face the challenges that you face. And for some of you, I know, you face an incredible challenge. And there's a part of you that just wants to quit, a part of you that wants to pull back because you feel like it's overwhelming, it's too much. I'm here to tell you, you have more in you because Jesus is in you. And as his follower, he's promised to never leave you, nor forsake you. And you can move forward through his grace, empowering you every single step of the way. God's power on display through his birth, through Jesus' life, and through his death and resurrection. And maybe God's love is the greatest display of his might and power. Perhaps the strongest display of God's absolute and infinite power is his love. It might be God's favorite and most effective expression of his might. You know what the church needs today? Maybe more than any other time in history. We need to surprise people with God's power. You know what that looks like? It's real simple. We need to surprise people with God's love. It's not complicated. We live in a world where so many people look to so many things to fulfill the longing for love that they have in their heart. And maybe the greatest expression of God's power is his love for you, his love for people. Now, I know there's a part of you that's like, well, we got to tell people the truth. Yeah, 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 you do. But really, to convince people of truth and convince people of change, that's not your job description. That's not mine. My job's to surprise people with the love of God. And as I surprise people with God's love, they're introduced to him. And his might and his power can go to work on everything else in that life. That's his job. My job is just to surprise people with love. It's what Jesus did. All throughout his life, It's what he wants to do in and through his church now. We have a mighty God, friends. And often when things appear the weakness, that's when God's strength can show up the greatest. And maybe in our culture, in our moment in history, when things seem like Christianity is at the weak spot, maybe, just maybe, that's the best moment for the church because that's where God's power through his love can surprise people and his spirit can do a changing work in the lives of people around us so as you continue to move into Christmas may you be caught off guard again by the amazing power of our mighty God he is a wonderful counselor he is a mighty God. And so Father, as we we take a moment here in communion, we remember Jesus so often this appearance of weakness is actually where your strength showed up the, the greatest. And Jesus, we need as the church and as individuals, in, in the moments of weakness that we battle, and that come our way, we need your strength to pour into each one of us to face those challenges. We need that. Father, we also as the church need to step into moments of history where maybe it seems like your movement is in a weakened state. From a human perspective, but that's your favorite moment. So, Father, would you show up again? Would you show off again? We remember that it's Jesus' body, broken for us, his blood shed, what seemed like a weak moment, a moment of great weakness, was actually your best. The greatest display of your strength. The greatest display of your love. As we take communion tonight, would you help us to remember that? And as we go out this week, would you re-empower us with your grace to surprise people with your love, to meet people at maybe their moment of weakness so that your strength can show up and show off again? We ask that in Jesus' name.